I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. Let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off last Tuesday night. We're reading the Word of God because it has the truth for us today. It's also true back then, and that's, uh, and that's I think, a, a, a sort of a, a summary going into what we're about to uh, experience for 20 minutes or so. Uh, true back then, true today, too. Matthew chapter, hold on. You know, it'd be good if I did that. Do that. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in, Jude, in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. Now, with Jesus born and all of the, uh, uh, all of the effort that Matthew has, has put in in chapter 1 to establishing that he is the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of God, and that's, that's all happened in chapter 1. Interestingly, in chapter 2 of the Christmas story, because we're still telling the story of Christmas, in chapter 2, the baby is not the star. The baby's not the star and, you know, for that matter, the angels aren't the stars. For that matter, uh, the main character is, is not Mary. It's not Joseph. And despite how faithful they have been and remain, the main character now becomes this regional Roman Empire puppet named Herod. Matthew, Matthew believes that the way to tell the story is to introduce to us the antagonist. And, and I, believe, I believe that the lessons that Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to know today require that we spend a few moments, and so I've, I've paused, and, and, and Randy's queued up to, um, to, to start in a few minutes um, when we get back to it, but, but I've paused here so that we can tell the story, so that you'll allow me to tell the story of Herod, so we can understand the story of Herod, and, 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 and it'll sort of illuminate what's going on in these, in these verses since Matthew has chosen to make Herod the main character. So Herod was born the son of an Arab man and an Arab princess, which makes him Arab, which uh, at that time means he was clearly not Jewish, Right? Uh, you can be Arab and Jewish now, but, but, but back then, Arab Jews, totally different. So, so, so he's not Jewish, and yet by the time he's in his 20s, he has some uh, sort, of, sort of career ambitions to become uh, like, like, like head over regions in the Roman Empire that were occupied largely by Jews. At one point in his 20s, he marries uh, a woman. He's, she is the love of his life. They have a son together. He goes off and, and, uh, and, 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 and achieves some conquest in like Roman uh, wars. He comes back, and the opportunity is given to him. This is around the year 40 uh, uh, B.C. or B.C.E., around the year 40. Uh, he's given the opportunity to marry a, uh, a woman, I can't pronounce her name, she's the daughter of a Hasmonean prince. Now, 
The Hasmoneans are a dynasty in the Jewish tradition that traces their lineage back to David. The Hasmoneans are in the Davidic line of DNA, right? And this is significant because who's the Messiah going to be? Son of David or grand, 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 grandson. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So he knows that he's an Arab, 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 and he can't be the Messiah, but maybe if he could marry this princess, then, then maybe his children could be the Messiah, and he could establish himself, and so, so he, he does. But in order to marry the princess, he takes his first wife, the love of his life, and their son together, who is, I don't know, four, five, six years old, and he literally banishes them says, you are not permitted to come back into my house or this town or this region, pushes them out. I mean, you can only imagine in the year 40 uh, BC how devastating this is. But he does it because he has aspirations to be something greater, right? But it's not enough, he knows, just to be married to the right person. He needs to get the approval of, of the Roman government. And so he travels through Egypt, which is out of the way, and he does some things there, and then he ends up in Rome, standing in front of the Roman Senate, right? I mean, Julius Caesar, you know, all Shakespearean kind of, you know, lore. I mean, he's, he's standing in front of the Roman Senate, and he makes his case that Herod, this Herod, should be the not just regional small you know, backwater leader of the Galilee region up in the north, he should be given all of the lands of Judea and that include, uh, you know, this jewel in the crown of Rome, Jerusalem. And they buy it. They like what he's done so far. They like, they like his, uh, you know, his, his conniving ways. And they give him the title of king of Jerusalem, king of the Jews of Jerusalem. The problem is the Jews back in Jerusalem don't like it. He, he has to actually amass an army, and in the year 37, he goes back and has to wage a bloody war to establish himself as the leader of the people that Rome said he was the leader of. But he does it. He does it. And what, and what ensues, now, I mean, hear me, hear me. We're, we're all thumbs down on Herod, right? Because what he's done to his wife and his, you know, and, and, you know. And, and, and it continues. Um, later on, the, the second wife, he has her killed. Later on, the two, first two sons of his second wife, he has them executed because he's completely mad with, uh, uh, with um, fear and insecurity that any of them are out to, 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 to kill him. But this is all later on. For the next, from about 37, 36 on, for the next 30 or so years, despite his madness, despite his background, he does have a pretty good plan for how to win over the affection of the Jews that he is the king of. And, and in his mind, the best way to do it is to rebuild for them the thing that they have missed and wanted for hundreds of years. And that is the temple built on Mount Zion by King Solomon himself nearly you know, a thousand years before. And so he sets out with, 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 with a Roman checking account, right, and his own ingenuity, he sets out and has 
the temple mount rebuilt and the temple restored. And he adds and adds and adds and, and he does this for three decades. Anybody that's been anybody that's been to the Holy Land, and I know that some of you have anybody's been to the Holy Land, there are there's evidence of the greatness of Herod the Great everywhere you go. You've heard me say this, but you've probably forgotten that, 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 that you can find on, on, the, on, the pavement, on the pavement that there's these little margins that are literally like chipped into all of, the, all of the stepping stones and the rocks. And when you walk along, if you look down and you see this little like three quarters of an inch or a half inch margin around it where, where the stonemason has perfectly, that's a, that's a Herodian stone. I mean, it dates back 2,000 years to this guy, Herod the Great. So while things aren't perfect and peaceful, he has established himself by rebuilding the Temple Mount. And then, and then, and then, and then he rebuilds this, uh, no, he builds out of nothing this, uh, this, this uh, seaport over in Caesarea on the Mediterranean, which was, um, some people say, is, is, is greater than some of the other seven greatest um, uh, you know, sites in the world. Um, he, he, he literally builds a mountain that did not exist in a valley called the Herodian, and he puts a palace in the top and in the bottom of it, and then maybe his greatest achievement in terms of construction, even greater than the rebuilding of King Solomon's Temple Mount, is that he builds a fortress down in the bottom of the, Red, uh, the Dead Sea up on a mountain a thousand feet in the air, and it's called Masada. And historians will tell you that it's possibly the most impenetrable fortress ever built in any civilization, any time. More secure than Fort Knox, right? I mean, it's Masada. It's, it's amazing. All of this, everything I've just told you is history. It's the history of Herod. Herod the Great. So that we're not confused, this is not the Herod from 33 years later, who would be involved with Pontius Pilate in the execution of Jesus, that is Herod Antipas, who is the son, he's one of the fortunate ones that lived, he's the son of, uh, of this Herod. This is Herod the Great. And he believes, because of, his, because of his military excellence, because of his construction, because of his ways with marriage and all that, that he is the king of the Jews, though he is actually not a Jew. And we need to understand all of this because this is in the mind of this man who is approached by some number, we like to say it's three, by some number of wise men from the east who come, and we just read it, who come and say, we're here to worship the baby who is to be the what? King of the Jews. Well now, the current king of the Jews says, hmm, say more about that. Because I haven't had any kids that you're describing, and you're not describing me. So the story continues. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote. This is the second different uh, Old Testament reference that Matthew has included. The first one was in the previous chapter. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared which I believe is, is evidence for the fact that, that the wise men were not absolutely 
at that Christmas Eve night when Jesus was born, right? They, they, and they weren't even there like the next week or the next week after that because, you know, because this verse is establishing, it's implying that there was a period of time from when the star appeared, probably when they were back there in their eastern lands, and they've taken the time to travel here. And so Herod is now asking, how long ago did the, the star first appear that would have indicated the child was born? It says, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. So these wise men, as Matthew refers to them, here don't seem so wise. Their initial, reaction, their initial actions seem more, I think would be better described as naive. Like, 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 why would you walk up to a palace that has a big giant banger, banner hanging on the front, home of Herod the Great, who claims to be the king of the Jews, and say, oh, by the way, we're here to see the one who's born to be the king of the Jews, right? Like, why would you do that? That's naive. And yet, and yet they do figure it out. They do figure it out, and, 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 it, and, it, and it probably helps to save, and it's a part of God's plan to save the life of Jesus as an infant so that he has the chance to give his life as an adult for our sins. I mean, but, but, so they wise up just enough to not return back to the east through Jerusalem. Instead, they go back a different route. They figure it out, and now Herod has the chance to figure it out also. What will he do with what he knows? Will he, will he choose to go and worship like they did? Will, will he choose to go and encounter this one who has been prophesied? Will he choose to go and bow before him like the shepherds have, like, like Mary and Joseph have, like, like, like Luke tells us that Anna and Simeon have there in Jerusalem, right where he lives? Will he choose to do any of those things? Will he choose to say, I know I'm not the one, but I want to go meet the one who is the one? Of course, we can guess, no. It says in the next verse, when the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophets. I have called my son out of Egypt. This is the third Old Testament reference. This, is, um, this one comes from Hosea 11, verse 1. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the word spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving. 
Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were no more. This is the word of God for we the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. When Herod is given the chance to encounter the one who was God's plans for the salvation of the world, instead of choosing submission, he chose violence. And, and, and Matthew is choosing to tell the story in a distinctive, you, you could even say, you could say even in a Matthewan way. Like this, is, this is very Matthew of Matthew here in the, in the span of I, I, 20 verses or so. Matthew has literally copied a verse or a fragment or more of the Old Testament and pasted it into the story in order to tell the Christmas story. So, so Matthew believes you can't tell the Christmas story, based on his evidence, you can't tell the Christmas story without referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. You can't tell Christmas without giving a nod to the fact that this has been in the works <laughs> for some time. Why? Why is this important to Matthew? I, I think there are two reasons, and, and the first is obvious. The first is that Matthew wants to establish that God, who makes promises then, keeps them now. Can I get an amen? Right? So, so that, that, that God, who says, I'm going to do a thing then, is actually doing the thing now. I mean, it's pretty, pretty obvious. Matthew, it's, it's important to Matthew that, that God is described as trustworthy, and loyal, and faithful. Because he is. But, but I also think that, that Matthew, by the verses he has chosen, is weaving into the story a second sort of underlying lesson. And that is that history repeats itself. Not in a good way. By, by telling the story like he has, he has mirrored the birth and young, tender years of Jesus with the birth and young, tender years of Moses. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Hosea was talking about it, who was he talking about? He was talking about Israel and Moses from the Exodus. When, 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 when it talks about Herod and the slaughter of the innocent children, who are they referring to? They're, re, they're referring to the first time that happened with Pharaoh. The reason that Moses was saved in a little reed basket out of the river is because Pharaoh had proclaimed that every child under a certain age should be killed of the Israelites. Matthew is telling the Christmas story in such a way to establish that history repeats itself and that what's being repeated is violence because humanity when given the choice too often opts for violence 
And, and, and not all of you, but a couple of you right now are going, you're right, you're right. I mean, that, I mean that, that hold up on Russell, you know, with the gun, you know, or, or all the stuff that's happened in Bibb County. Aren't we glad that we live in Houston County? I mean, you know, I'm not talking about that kind of violence. That's violent. And that's not okay. And the church is against it, and I'm against it, and you're against it too. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that violence that happens in our lives, and it doesn't include a handgun. The history that repeats itself of the human nature that opts for violence is the violence of the way we just treat each other with our words, with, with, with our actions, with our thoughts, with our, with our subtle, you know, ha-ha, <laughs> corrections and meanness what is violence i i, I looked it up I, and 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 the truth is the, the the page was too long for me to even scribble any of it down i mean intimidation and coercion and abuse anything that i do to exert my will forcefully on the other person that's what i'm talking about and that is the pattern that matthew is bringing up before us here herod acts violently toward babies and their mothers and fathers all because he does not like the fact that god has a different plan than him we preached on this some uh, uh, 11 months ago. It was in February. I was out of town for one of the weekends, and so, and so other folks filled in for me. I think Connor and Charity filled in for me. The, but, but the three of us preached in February around the idea of the peace that is possible. And this is what we said. Peace is possible only when we can see the other person not as an object or an obstacle in our way, but as a child of God. But, but until that happens, and until I see you not as an object that's in my way that needs to be physically, forcefully moved out of my way, until that happens, I'm going to remain with a bent towards violence. And this is what Matthew is establishing as the pattern of the world. The world says the best way to operate is to take it if you want it. If you see it and want it, just go grab it. This is the wisdom of the world. Paul speaks to that wisdom here. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something 
to nothing. Who's, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Christmas story. He's talking about the entire gospel. Is that God's wisdom literally takes the world's wisdom and flips it upside down and says, and says you think it's with violence and with power and with just assertion but no, it's with humility and with weakness and submission. This is the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. And the way of Herod does not work out. And the way of Pharaoh is, is, is the stuff of dust in the sand now. But the way of God lives on into eternity. I, I cannot... I cannot think of a better word for any of us to start the new year than the word that violence is wasted effort and that peace is possible. Peace. Can, can you think of something that you need more of in 2020 than peace? I, I know, money, right? But as the theologian of our day said, more money, more problems. I was thinking the other day, they're going to come up. They're going to come up with some kind of topical thing, and it's just going to grow hair. I mean, I, I was honestly thinking that. I was like, "What would it be like?" I don't need that. What do I need? I need peace. And then, and then I'm done. Every year should start with us seeking peace. But this coming year of all years should start with us seeking peace. Because there's something happening in 11 months. And all the months leading up to it that will cause heartache and suffering and will turn brother against brother and house against house. And some people will say, whatever it takes and do whatever it takes, that is not the gospel. And I'm not talking about politicians. Who am I talking about? Me and you. Matthew establishes that the history of the world that repeats itself is not the only option. Peace is possible if we would trust the God who made us. Let's pray. Lord, allow us to close out 
and start up. This break on a calendar with a deep sense of your hand in our lives. This, this sense that is a peace that passes understanding of the world, this sense that is pushing us towards that which is possible despite what the world would say. That you are in control. And that those who are around us or in front of us are not objects to be moved, but are brothers and sisters and children of yours. May we not repeat the history but may we experience the new thing you are doing. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.